I can't ride a bull for eight seconds, or even two for that matter. I can't run a two-hour marathon or a four-minute mile. I can't even swim a quarter mile. I am that lame at at swimming. And speaking of being lame at things, I couldn't carry a tune in a bucket. I can't go a week without water or a minute without oxygen. But the most annoying thing is I can't fly like Superman over the Rockies. What's with that? Whatever I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me means, it doesn't just mean whatever I want it to. There's a lot of things that my 46-year-old body can't do that my 25-year-old body could, right? Anybody with me on this? So when you come to this passage, you have two choices. You can ignore it as some absurd ancient document that really has nothing to do with the real world that we really live in. Or you can turn to Philippians 4.13 and seek to know more closely what it means. Tonight I'm going to challenge you to look closely at this outstanding promise and hopefully you'll be able to get in on whatever it is that God is promising us because you know Him better and therefore love Him and trust Him more. You see, I have found in my life that the truth usually does not fit on a bumper sticker or on a banner at a football game. The truth almost always needs some unpacking or somebody's going to come along and say, well, why don't you just jump off a cliff if you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. But when we take time to understand especially promises in God's Word, we are rewarded with a deeper understanding of God, ourselves, and even the world in which we live. And in this case, we find the truth that will change the world, or at least change the world of those who have eyes to see and ears to hear. Because when you do, you can take great risks for the great God who loves us and is called and will never leave us nor forsake us. Tonight we are going to answer the question, can I trust God when I don't get what I need? Has that question ever occurred to anybody in this room? Can I trust God when I don't get what it is I really need? We'll begin our answer at one of the more popular NFL banner verses, but first we'll start with a little Bible context in verse 10. Paul writes to the Philippians, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. Paul wrote his letter to the Philippians as a thank you. 
because the church had supported his labor to make disciple-making disciples in other towns and, and other places. They sent him money, and Paul wished to encourage them through illustrations in Philippians of courage and loyalty and sacrifice that are all motivated by a love of Christ. So when we come to this point in the letter, Paul thanks them, and as he thanks them for the gift they gave him, he makes two very interesting observations. The first observation is Paul, in effect, said, I'm glad for you that you sent this money. You see, Paul is convinced that Jesus was correct when he said it is more blessed to give than to receive. But the second observation that we make here in this, remember, a thank you card, Paul said, I'm content. He says, I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. And he lists a whole lot of good and bad situations that he could find himself in, in which he knew that God would take care of him. We find tonight that Paul's contentment and mine is the one thing we need if we are going to take great risks for the great God who loves us and will never leave us nor forsake us. Paul discovered by experience trusting God's promise that he would come through no matter what. When Paul says he trusts God in any and every circumstance, it means that our question that we started with tonight Will God leave me in the lurch? This question that is all too close, all too real in terms of our human experience is not really something that the child of God needs to worry about. If you belong to God's everlasting family, it will never be the case that God will give you less than you need. God will never leave you in the lurch. And you and I still live in a sin-sick world. And you and I still live in a sin-sick flesh. And we struggle, do we not? We struggle. And Paul even says we groan last week. We struggle to accomplish kingdom purposes. And this is why we need grace. This is why we need power. God's power to accomplish kingdom purposes. This is why we need God enabling us to do what we cannot do ourselves. All of which is absolutely unmerited, undeserved blessing. Now, I don't want anything I say tonight to make you believe that I don't Feel the emotional weight of the question, can I trust God when I don't get what I need? Because that's a very real problem that very real Christians have in this very real world. I, at least, perhaps some of you have, I have not attained to the experience of Paul because I have not suffered as much as he did. And because I have not suffered as much as Paul, I also have not experienced as much comfort watching God provide for me. Maybe you find yourself in a similar situation. Nevertheless, I 
know that I can trust God when I don't get what I think is what I need. And in order to help you believe the same thing, I'm going to offer three points. The first one is God uses ordinary people to accomplish His purposes. And because God uses ordinary people to accomplish His purposes, you can expect that God will give you what you need to accomplish His purposes in your life. The second point I'm going to make tonight is that God loves. He enjoys. He gets a big kick out of showing Himself to be a miraculous provider for those who depend upon Him to provide miracles. And the last point is finally we will see that God does what is best for His children. First, let's see how God uses ordinary people. I'm going to read 1 Corinthians 1, 26-31. Paul talks to the Corinthians and he says, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world. Even the things that are not to bring to nothing the things that are. Why did he do this? Why, Paul, did God do this? So that no human being might boast in His presence of God. And because of Him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that, as it is written in Jeremiah 9.23, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. You see, my friends, I've said this before, but God loves ordinary people. You know how I know He loves ordinary people? Because He sure made a lot of us. God loves ordinary people because you and I, we display Him. We, we make Him to be seen as the master craftsman who can use fickle, finite, foolish tools to bring about His perfect plan. And because that's true, you can take great risks for the great God who loves you and will never leave you nor forsake you. Have you made mistakes in your life? Good. That means two things. If you have made mistakes in your life, that means you have tried to accomplish something that was worthwhile. And the second thing that it proves is that God can use you. Because everyone will see when you do something that is for God's glory that it wasn't you doing it. But it is you trusting the Christ who is in you and is working through you. And when people see that, the glory of God will cover the seas as the, cover the earth as the waters cover the seas. Remember, the point that Paul makes here is that we boast in the Lord. And we can do that because He is the master craftsman. But you know what? For us ordinary people, it gets even better than that. Still talking to the Corinthians, this time 2 Corinthians 12, Paul says, He, Jesus, said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, Paul says, 
I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness. There's that word boast. I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content. Another key word, back to Philippians 4. I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. Notice, all of those things are stuff that we don't like. Notice, all of those things are things that bring Him glory, not me. And these are the things in the face of which Paul can say, when I am weak, then I am strong. Why? Because God is glorified and that is the greatest work I can do. I am strong, Paul says, because I find myself depending on God's promises and not my strength or not my riches. Certainly in my case, not because of my good looks. It's in the trusting of God's promises, which of course are mighty to save. And it remains... It remains me. I breathe. I trust. I do. Because if I don't do those things, no one can do it for me. Ask someone to breathe for you and see how long you stay natural color. Ask someone to take great risks for the great God who loves you and will never leave you nor forsake you, and you will find yourself empty. Have you ever wasted your time? Have you ever wasted your money doing something that just didn't work out? You thought, oh, this is a great idea. And it was a bust. Well, of course you have. Of course you have. And not only that, but it's a good thing. Because that should humble you so that you can be used by that master craftsman who uses the fickle, foolish finite tools to accomplish His purposes. Not necessarily ours. Which brings us to King David. King David, evidently, before he wrote this, experienced some failure. Don't have any idea what that particular failure was. Could have been any number of things. But I want you to see, as we look into Psalm 64, I want you to see how David identifies his problem. And then I want you to see how David identifies the path that he needs to put himself in so that God can come and bail him out of the problem he has. Read with me as I turn to Psalm 61. David says, Hear my cry, O God. Listen to my prayer. From the end of the earth I call to you when my heart is faint. What is his problem? He feels distant from God. And because he feels distant from God, his heart is fainting. He's, he's, he's going, oh! Have you ever failed and just felt that crushing, oh! Anybody with me on that? I have. What has David asked the Lord to do? Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. I want to start singing. For you have been my refuge, a strong tower against the enemy. Let me dwell in your tent forever. Let me take refuge under the shelter of your wings. 
He goes on, go home and read 61. It's a great psalm. But David recognized his need, and the very first thing he did is he cried for help. God, help me. Lord, save me. Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. All of these are cries to the Lord saying, God, help me. First thing. Second thing, David rehearsed the promises of God. Yahweh said that he would lead his people. David asked Yahweh to lead him. Yahweh said that he would be a strong tower for his people. David asked Yahweh to protect him from his enemies. Yahweh said that he would bring us to an intimate relationship with him. David asks for that relationship. David goes to God's Word and he pulls out promises and he says, God, come through on these promises that you said you would come through on. And guess what? God does. Now, we will look in a moment at the nature of a request and that not every request is always granted. But don't fail to note here that the asking is based upon the promises of God that He gives to those who trust Him. And when you are trusting the promises of God for you in Christ, you will take great risks for the great God who loves you and will never leave you nor forsake you. You can take that to the bank. So we learn here in the first point that God uses ordinary people. And the fact that God uses ordinary people, this gives me hope that He can also use me in my very ordinary situation in life, wherever I am. But now I want to look at some key promises that relate to God providing miracles for those who depend upon Him to be a miraculous provider. And then at the end, we'll wrap up with an understanding of why why it appears sometimes that He does not always provide miracles. So let's look at the most important passage for the rest of the sermon. And we'll find it in John chapter 15, 5-7. Jesus says through His best friend John, I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in Me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from Me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask for whatever you wish and it will be given to you. Now, this is the controlling passage for the rest of the promises we will look at tonight. Everything we read tonight must be understood in light of this crystal clear explanation that Jesus gives us of how to be in a position, how to position yourself in such a way that God is able to pour out His blessings, that He is able to give you the answers to your prayers. So, what is Jesus' answer? Where do we go? How do we put ourselves in a position to receive His blessings? Simple. Abide in His Word and let His Word abide in you. Abide in Jesus' words and allow Jesus' words to abide in you. I wonder how much of our lives we spend abiding in the words of the world and not abiding in the words of Jesus. So what does it mean? 
What does it look like to abide in His Word and allow His Word to abide in us? It means to intentionally live in such a way that God's Word is evident in every part of your life. That God's Word is evident in your attitudes. That God's Word is evident in your actions. Your, God's Word is evident in your dreams and your fears. That God's Word is evident in your joys and your heartaches. It means to put yourself into a position in which you are the kind of person that Charles Spurgeon described when he said, when you get cut, bleed Bibline. Bleed the Bible because it is such a part of you. Now we need John 15 to be our controlling passage so that we can make sense of what would otherwise be absurd. Let me read you some verses. Matthew 21-22, Jesus says, Whatever you ask for in prayer, believe. If You will receive if you have faith. Matthew 21-22. Now, when Jesus said this, He had just cast a tree into the sea. And the disciples who were around them... Um, uh, no, I said that wrong. He just killed a fig tree. That's what it was. I'm sorry. My, my brain slipped a gear there. And so His disciples asked about this miraculous power. And, and they wanted to know, how do you have this miraculous power? And Jesus said, pray. Now clearly the implication there is an intimate relationship with the miracle working God whom, in whom Jesus calls us to abide. It is being connected with that God so that we know what it is He wants. We also read Matthew 7, 7. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. Now here, the emphasis is slightly different. Jesus wants us to go to God in prayer. He wants to ask us to ask Him. He wants us to keep on asking Him. He wants us to keep going to God because He knows as we are going to God, we are not going to our own resources. Yeah, look at me. I'm such a strong guy. Ask God your prayer requests. Ask Him like everything depends upon your prayer. If you lived in such a way that you believed that what you needed was absolutely dependent upon God answering, you might pray different. I went to Camps Crusade for Christ Seminary and we had missionaries by the dozen come through there. And I remember one time a missionary was, ta was talking to one of our professors and you know, they were talking about medical emergencies. And what do you do when you have a medical emergency? Well, we pray. Does God answer? Well, yeah. Well, why doesn't God answer here? Well, probably because you depend on 911 instead of prayer. Now, I am not saying don't call 911. I am saying pray first and pray most and depend upon the miraculous provider providing on the, for those who depend on Him for miracles. John 16.24 One more verse. Jesus says, Until now you have not asked for anything in My name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be complete. So, I have a question. What does it mean to ask in Jesus' name? 
Asking in Jesus' name means to ask according to His merit. Again, you're not depending upon what you can do. You are depending upon who you know. When you pray, you're not praying, Lord, look at me, look how wonderful I am. You're saying, God, I'm looking at You. I'm trusting in You. I'm depending upon You. Those are prayers that get answered. Secondly, asking in Jesus' names means that we ask so that we can fulfill God's purposes. Now, I don't know about you. Well, you guys probably don't covet anything. But I know that when I'm coveting something and I'm praying that God would you know, fulfill whatever coveting, lusting thought that I'm having right then, I'm pretty sure that really doesn't match up with God's purposes. And so why would God answer that? In fact, the wiser me, the saner me, the one who is actually thinking, goes, God, please don't answer those prayers. Because they would be for my harm. But when I am walking with Him, when I am seeking Him so that I am aligning myself with His principles, with His purposes then I am bold as a lion and I can take great risks for the great God who loves me and will never leave me nor forsake me. Now, notice, in these verses, we find an emphasis on relationship. We find an emphasis on cooperative co-working. We find ourselves needing to abide in Christ and to allow His Word to abide in us. We want to have an intimate relationship with the personal Creator God of the universe. And John 15.7 is soul food. Buying whatever latest toy I'm coveting is not soul food. It is poison. It's vomit. And when we are abiding in Christ and when we are allowing His Word to abide in us, we find ourselves living. We find ourselves taking risks for the risk-worthy God. But this brings up a very important question. This brings up an absolutely crucial, potentially faith-murdering question. What does it mean that God... What does it mean that it is risky to abide in Christ? What does it mean that we need to take risks for God? Is, is God not trustworthy? Is abiding in Christ risky? Well, certainly the world would tell you. What? I can do all things through Him who strengthens me? What, can you ride a bull for eight seconds? Can you ride a bull for two? Why is abiding in Christ risky? It is risky because our prayers are not magic. Listen, please do not miss this. Please do not miss this. Your prayers are not 
magic. We are not twisting God's arm to give us what we want. We're not shaming Him to give us what we think we need. By the very nature of requests, the nature of a request is that there is a possibility that our request is denied. God is both wiser and He is more loving than you. So guess what? Some of your prayers are stupid. Suck it up. (laughs) So then what are all these promises about? What do all these promises tell us? What we are promised here is that God listens. God hears what you are saying. You are not ignored. If you are a child of God, you are safe. And if you are a child of God, you are loved. Pray. Because when you pray, you are pulling your attention to the Father. It's not that you're winning His attention. It's not that you're earning something. You are pulling your attention to the Father You are aligning yourself with Him. You are humbling yourself before Him. You are putting yourself in His service and aligning yourself with His purposes. And the Father will not fail to notice that. The Father, your Abba, will not fail to notice that. So pray. Pray what you want to pray. Pray that God would give you what it is you think you need. And pray that if that does not fit with His purposes, that He will change your heart. But we also need to remember that prayer is meant to be a battlefield walkie-talkie. It's meant to call in reinforcements in the battle. It's not a room service buzzer. Would you send us some more pie and ice cream, please? God seeks worshipers. And worshipers in this world are by definition fighting a war. Because everything wants to draw our worship away from Him. And these worshipers, we worshipers trust God. We have faith. We actively know and we live by God's promises. And these are the men and women who get their prayers answered. Could it be any other way? Is it possible that any other way would be a way to get God's prayers? Get God to answer our prayers? And when you live in this cooperative, worshipful, abiding way, you will live by the natural expression of a life that is guided by prayer. You will live by a natural way of life that seeks God and seeks His purposes. And it doesn't mean you won't pray for your relationships. It doesn't mean you won't pray for the stuff you need or would like to have. It doesn't mean that you don't pray that your circumstances will change. No, 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 no. Pray for all those things. We have permission. We have commands to pray for those things. But we do so in a humble, reliance, worshipful, abiding in 
God. And when you live this way, you will pray and you will receive. Oh, pastor, okay, so far that sounds good, but I think you've crossed the line here. You're saying that God's going to answer my prayers. That's a pretty bold statement. Well, if it was just me saying it, I would say run through the door. But I'm just saying what God's Word says. Is it too good to be true that you could live in such a way that God will answer your prayers? Well, if that's what you're tempted to think, the very first question you need to ask yourself is, do I believe in a supernatural, all-powerful King of the universe... Or do I believe in a God in my pocket? Is God someone I could stuff in my pocket? If you believe in a God in my pocket, you'll throw up your hands because this prayer thing doesn't work. Yeah, right. Wishful thinking. Go home, dream. But if you believe in a supernatural God that you can abide in and who offers to abide in you, then you, today, this week, can take great risks for the great God who loves you and will never leave you nor forsake you. We have seen that God uses ordinary people and therefore you can trust that He will not ignore you. There are countless parables. This is all over Scripture. I'm not making this stuff up. Then we saw that God does in fact answer prayer and that this answering is based upon a relationship. And the closer you are to God, the more likely you are to have your prayers answered. Not because God plays favorites. Not because you need to earn your goodness or your resources. But because as you are closer to God, you want what He wants to give you. When you delight yourself in the Lord, He will give you the desires of your heart. Namely, Himself. But lastly, we're going to see that God does what is best. And in my book, this is the most important reason given tonight to pray. Let's look at two verses we looked at last week. Romans 8.28 And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose. Now allow me to begin by saying that the all things work together for good are for those who are called according to His purpose. Those who are in fact walking in the way that He has given us to walk. If you are not called according to His purpose, not everything will work out for your good. In fact, nothing will work for your good if you are not called according to His purpose. But now, four verses later. He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also, along with Him, graciously give us all things? So, again, I've got a question. What is this all things, Paul? What all things are you talking about? Well, it's the same all things as in verse 28. All things that are necessary for you to fulfill His purposes. The same all things that will be good for you if you are called according to His purpose. The same all things that we've already seen include some pretty scary stuff. Oh my goodness! Spoiler alert, it's about to get scarier. 
Because these are the same all things that the author of Hebrews identifies in 11.35. Some of those who trusted God were tortured. Refusing to accept release so that they might, so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom this world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and in caves of the earth. My friends, Prepare yourselves. Persecution is here. Jack Phillips is once again before the bar, even though the Supreme Court of the United States just sided in his favor. It's here. Don't kid yourself and don't go nodding, yes, Pastor, thank you. This is real. Persecution is here. It's coming. Be ready for it. How do you be ready for it? Know and trust and live the promises of God for you in Christ. There is no other way. Surfing the internet, flicking through the TV, saying, hooray for our side, none of that will prepare you for persecution. None of that is meant to. All of that is a palliative meant to numb your mind so that you won't be in the battle which is taking risks for the great God who loves you and will never leave you nor forsake you. Be ready. It's here. It's coming and it's here. Sorry, back to preaching. Here's your answer to prayer. The answer to your prayer, looking back 5, 10, 20, or even 40 years, will very often not seem good. Certainly not good by the world standards. But for an infinitely longer period of your life, for all of eternity coming, you will see that God answered those prayers beyond your wildest dreams. Even if you lose your house and your business because you won't bake a cake. We do not lose heart though our outer self is wasting away. Our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light and momentary affliction that Jack Phillips is facing is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. That is why you can take great risks for the great God who loves you and will never leave you nor forsake you. Now, I got another question. Oh, sorry. I got a question in a second. Answered prayer is not getting what you want when you want it. Answered prayer is following Abba through the fire, knowing that wherever he is, is best. 
Answered prayer is not getting what you want when you want it. Answered prayer is following Abba through the fire, knowing wherever He is, is best. Now how does this reality correspond to the controlling verse we named in John 15:7? If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. How, do, how does this mesh? How, does this, how do we get there? Well, clearly we get there because right now we don't see by sight, we see by faith. We see by faith, not by sight. But one day we will see that abiding in Jesus' words will have taken us places we did not want to be at the time, but proved well worth it in the end. Abiding in Jesus' words didn't get us everything, every relationship, or every circumstance we wanted, but proved well worth it in the end. Abiding in Jesus' words did not move the things along at the pace we wanted them moved along at, but it proved well worth it in the end. And it's that. It's the well worth it in the end that makes it true when Paul says, I can do all things through Him who gives me strength. I can do all things that are according to the purpose that God has for me to bring Him glory and to grow His kingdom and will ultimately be for our joy. So my friends, take great risks for the great God who loves you and will never leave you nor forsake you. Lord Jesus, we cannot do this apart from You. It is only You working in us and through us that we can see these things at work. But Lord, I pray that You would put Your promises in our heart so that we will in fact take great risks for the great God who loves us and will never leave us nor forsake us. Bless us, Jesus, so that people looking on will see You and bring glory to Your name. We love you, Jesus. Amen. Thanks for coming.